What if the reason we're not seeing healing is because we're not actually coming to God? If we're honest with ourselves, too often we feel like we've got to be different before we can approach God. Maybe we feel like we have too much sin in our lives. Maybe we feel like we're not good enough. Maybe we feel unlovable. And so we stand off at a distance, hoping that God may reach out to us, when in reality, God is inviting us to come to him. And when he invites us, he essentially says, come as you are. This theme presented itself in my conversation with Jana, and very quickly it became clear that this is what we needed to focus on, this idea of coming as we are. And the good news is, whoever you are, whatever your situation, this applies to you. Right now, you can come as you are to God. But how do we do that? You're listening to episode 101 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for John and I connect. And I just thank you that you worked out my childcare, that it's quiet. I just pray that we just trust that wherever you want to take this conversation, however you want to work it, that even if there are distractions, that you could still speak. And so we want to give our words to you, our thoughts to you, and this time to you, knowing that you could do abundantly more with it than we ever could. So we pray that you are honored and glorified, and we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. All this we pray in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that we're able to connect. I really was scared that my childcare wouldn't work out and I'd have a kid sitting right here. You know, one of the ways I like to kick things off is giving the guests an opportunity to briefly share who they are, but in a fun way. And I make it fun by making it like an improv game for myself where I don't really plan out in advance the prompt I'm going to give. And I wait to see what pops in my head. And this is the prompt that popped in my head for you. Imagine we're both about to catch a really long flight, you know, 15 hour flight to somewhere. For whatever reason, something messed up with my ticket. So I have a few seat options. They're gonna replace my seat, but I'm getting to talk to some people to figure out who do I wanna sit next to for 15 hours. And so one of the seats is by you and I go over and I only have a few moments, but I wanna quickly find out who you are and decide, do I wanna sit next to her for this whole flight? So. I've walked up to you and I've said, hey, tell me about yourself. What do you tell me to encourage me to sit next to you during our long flight? Wow. I want to say that you stumbled across the best person to sit next to because I feel that we, each one of us, have a very unique journey. You know, what I tell you briefly about myself to get a catch is uh, as we are flying on this 15 hours to Japan, you could see the little crowd around me and all of those eight kids are mine. And my husband and I embarking uh, onto Japan to stay there for a month. So it's a dream of ours that we planned for two years. And now that we, we get to chat together, I would love to tell you a story. You know, I, I grew up, uh, was born in Uzbekistan. I'm, my background is Russian. I speak Russian and I lived in Russia for a year and I've been in the States for about 15 years. My career has always been in a global footprint. I worked with South Korean company, Belgian company. I worked with Americans and I've relocated over 4,000 families across the globe over the period of my career. So that is a career wise. But I think the most important part why we want to sit together and chat is that I'm a child of God. God found me when I was 16. 
by then I've really got myself into some difficult situations and it was a mercy and rescue that he found me and I would not be the person you see today if it would not be for God. Besides all of these accolades, you know, career achievements and, and different things, I think the deeper conversation is about what God makes us, what God transforms us into from finding us where we were and through the life journey, equipping us and teaching us to absorb him as he transforms us into precious stones. So if you're ready for that conversation, let's sit and uh, dive in. I love it. I'm going up to the counter. I'm saying I figured out which seat I'm sitting in. And there's so much in there. But one thing I want to do to jump in, you know, this season, I've been focusing a lot on healing. And when we connected through Podmatch, you mentioned there are a few different things that when you think of healing that get your mind going around what a conversation could be. Here's what I want to ask, you know, right now in this moment, you know, you and I believe that God can guide a conversation. So when you think of the topic of healing, what is it that you feel like is rising the highest in your heart right now? What's, what's pressing the most in your mind? And then let's see where that conversation goes. The most feeling that is pressing within is the journey of healing ourselves, our inner healing with God. There are two aspects to this in my experience that I want to share a little bit of a testimony. The first healing or level of healing, I feel, is when we experience his salvation, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And there is a tremendous, amazing, I think it's like a fresh water flushing through and rinsing and just uplifting you. So if you're born again, believer, you know how it is, the first love, the first, you know, few months or years, even with the Lord, it's it's such a joy, you know, being with the Lord. And, and He heals us in so many ways. He forgives our sins. He restores us. He helps us to grow in our faith. And I think as we progress in our Christian life and faith and that journey, He doesn't want us to remain babies. He wants us to grow to maturity. He wants to see His believers, His children to be full grown in Christ. And with that, there comes some challenges and some pains. And I think the work that He's doing within us, the most important work is the healing of our inner being, of our soul, of our mind, of our emotion and our will. A lot of times we tend to keep a lot of resentment, offenses, and guilt and shame deep, deep down, even sometimes on subconscious level. And I feel the healing journey that is the most important for me at this stage of life is allowing the Lord to shine light on how much pain and guilt and offenses I have gathered and kept in my being. It was almost became a store of, you know, kunk in the hose. If you turn on the hose and the water is trickling, you know, that's not a problem with the flow of the water. There's something in that hose. It's either twisted or there is a kunk in it. Sometimes we gather all of these offenses and resentments and it becomes a kunk in us that prevents God's flow from flowing deeper in us and through us. Mm. So that is the inner journey, the healing that I am undergoing right now and I feel is so crucial for each believer to experience as well. Yeah. You know, you emphasize the inner healing of the soul and you were talking about it in like a holistic way. So how is that different than just an intellectual healing, like uh, just changing your thoughts around something? How is the healing of the soul something deeper? 
You know, there is different approaches that are in a secular world that I feel are, are good. And, and there are sometimes important to explore and they're profitable. Like there's some mindset exercises, you know, right now I'm looking myself personally into positive intelligence that help you to build the muscle to, instead of focusing on negative that typically draws us to, to focus on a positive thought. These are all great. And I think they're good tools to learn to explore and to see if they work. As I learn some of those tools and explore, what I found is that there is a deeper level to that when you invite God into that process. Mm-hmm. There is a deeper level to that that you allow God to walk you through and you invite him to help you process and release the things that hold you back help you process and release wounds that you sometimes have not even realized been there. Help you process and let go that offense that happened 10 years ago and you still hold on grudges onto it. You know, I feel unbelievers, they have a capacity certainly for forgiveness and different things, but I feel for us as believers, it is so much deeper level. When you invite God and you say, Lord, come shine your light, expose what's there. And then sometimes you face a circumstance or sometimes you face an offense that you can't forgive. You just can't. You just can't let go. And the beauty of it is that you can say, I can't let go. I see the light. I see this is a problem. I see this is a kank, but I know God that you can. I know that you are within me and anything is possible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. So I invite you to free me, to release me from this grunge. I invite you to release me from this offense. I invite you to heal my being and bring the light and bring the joy and bring the peace. Who is actually our God? He is all of these attributes. We don't get them separately from God. We don't get a piece of peace or we don't get a piece of joy. We get God as peace and our joy. I feel that's a deeper experience that each one of us can do by just opening up to him. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that in general, as people, there are a lot of tools, resources, ways of engaging that we have around us. But if someone is in relationship with God, they have access to something deeper. And two things that came to my mind, one, you noted that God has a capacity way beyond ours. So where our capacity stops, God can do abundantly more. But the other thing, and I think this is where the intellectual approach to healing can fall short, is intellectual is fine insofar as things make sense. So let's say you have an issue with someone. You feel like somebody has wounded you. There are some intellectual exercises you can go through where maybe you find out, oh, this person wasn't trying to hurt me. So I can change my understanding and perspective around how this thing happened and how to engage with them and come to a place of healing because you're able to forgive and so forth. But where it gets hard is when the intellectual doesn't account for it. What if somebody actually did try to hurt you? What if somebody actually did do something awful to you? Like you said, it could be hard to forgive because you're recognizing it could be foolish to forgive because if I forgive them and they do it again, where am I? And this is where we find in scripture that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, that there are so many times where God actually invites us to forgive someone who is unforgivable, to step into spaces where we could get hurt. You know what I mean? It's like one of those spaces where in and of ourselves, it would seem risky or foolish 
yet in God's wisdom, he can call us to a place that doesn't make any sense and yet is the best place that we can be. So I think you're right. Like this idea of inner healing of the soul goes deeper because one, it's beyond our capacity and two, it's beyond our understanding. You know, something else you said that really stood out to me is part of that healing comes because there's a lot that we are holding on to that God helps us to release. Why is it that you think we hold on to so much that's actually hurting us? Sometimes we hold on to things unconsciously because we were raised in this way. We have a certain thought patterns or mindset patterns that we think of. Sometimes we focus on what we don't have. We focus on what we lack. And by focusing on what we don't have and what we lack, we don't realize that we actually magnify that in our lives. Sometimes I feel in my personal experience reflecting on that, on my journey, I just got too busy. Life has just got too hectic. You get into adulthood, you go get a job, you do your best to thrive and grow in your career. Then you get a family, then you get children, and then you try to manage all of this together. And life just gets crazy hectic, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel I've just lived for years in just surviving, trying to survive almost each day, trying to survive the hectic demands of my job, you know, managing the kids, who's going to watch my kids, how do they they care, how do we pay the bills, you know, all of these things can just consume us. Mm -hmm. Running, 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 not that I didn't have God at that time of my life, not that I completely turned away and forgot of him at that time of my life, but looking back, I was so consumed by these necessities and requirements and pressures. And some of those pressures are self-imposed, that now I recognize it, that I didn't have any quality of relationship with the Lord. He kind of was standing by, kind of watching me and saying, hello, when are you going to wake up? And I was just rushing, rushing, rushing in overwhelm, in exhaustion, day by day. There were some hard times happening. My relationship with my husband stopped falling apart. And, you know, we got ourselves into a very financial difficult situation where God allowed certain things to happen. I believe, reflecting back, for me to pause and say, wait a minute, I'm on a destructive path, self-inflicted, and then turn to the path of healing. Each one of us have a choice because he gave us free will. So when you're asking why, Sometimes we're choosing certain ways, we're choosing certain feelings, we're choosing to judge others, we're choosing to judge and hate ourselves without realizing how much damage our choices bring to us. And God in his wisdom sometimes allows us to fail, sometimes allow us to fall deep and scratch our knees, and sometimes allow us to experience that hurt to give us a wake-up call. Because I feel if he comes and rescues us in the midst of our foolishness and foolish choices, I don't feel we realize the depths of the problem, the depths and how deep those you know, choices and wounds are running. And yes, he allows us to fail and get hurt so we can wake up and say, wait a minute, let me make an audit over here. Let me make an audit of my life. Let me make an audit of my choices. And how do I turn this thing around? And that's where I feel we fall on our knees, we cry, and we come as we are to God. And we ask him, Lord, I do not know what to do. Guide me. Help me. And that's the beautiful moment when God's power upon us and love and mercy shines through 
And then he guides us to the right people, to the right direction. And as we allow him more and more, I feel he brings the opportunities to us to make better choices. Yeah. It reminds me of something that I shared the other night. I had the privilege of speaking at an InterVarsity campus ministry meeting at the University of Virginia this week. They're spending time this semester talking about what it means to hear from God and what it means to say, here I am. And I got to be the first one, the one to kick off the series. And the reason I was excited about that is because I realized, especially in an academic setting, it can be a very intellectual approach to this. Well, what does the Bible say about hearing from God? What can I do to hear from God? But then it can be very hard to internalize it. Even if we understand it in our head, actually trusting that we can hear from God is hard because we can think of all the times that we've reached out to God that he didn't fix our situation or he didn't answer our question. And one of the things that I shared with them is part of that is because when we're seeking God, often we are expecting an answer. But you know, here we are saying, God, tell me what college I'm supposed to go to. Tell me what major I'm supposed to have. Tell me what job I'm supposed to have. Tell me what relationships I'm supposed to be in. Tell me what my calling is. God, tell me. And it's almost like God is saying, I understand why you're so concerned about these things. But I'm actually after abundantly more than you can ask for or that you can imagine. And so while you're thinking about the here and now, I'm thinking about eternity. While you're thinking about this current issue, I'm thinking about full life. And so it's like in our hardships, what we're looking for God to do is to fix the here and now problem. And sometimes God doesn't because he's like, I get why that's hard, but I'm after abundantly more. Now, the other problem we run into with that and something you said triggered this in my mind is you said the next step is we come as we are to God. And that can be really hard for us because we're talking about coming to God. So we kind of want to be in a good place before we come to God. We want to have our stuff together. We want to be worthy to come to God. So when you say come as we are to God, what does that mean to you? I think it's actually a big mistake when we try to put ourselves together and come to God because it's a realization that we can't by no means by our effort come up to any standards. We are so unworthy. We are so sinful. We are so fallen that no matter how hard we try, there's just no way we can be in his presence by ourselves. The effort I think is in vain. And the more you puff up yourself, the more you try to puff up yourself to be worthy, so to speak, actually you distance yourself from God. Mm. So that's one spectrum. We're talking about come as you are, is that realization that we're sinners, a realization that we make mistakes, realization that deep longing to say, Lord, I just can't. Sometimes in life you realize you just can't do things. Sometimes you realize you just can't manage the things that you have, you know, the things that you encounter, whether it's in your health, whether it's in your job, or it's in your family, whatever it is that you're facing, you come to realize that you just can't. Mm -hmm. And I feel that is God's mercy, actually, to bring us to that realization, because in those moments, this is where we truly can learn how to be before God as we are. And I think learning to practice it actually daily is good. To me personally, coming as I am is sometimes our mind is too loud. Our Sometimes our needs are too bright. And sometimes we want this, we want that, we want this. But it's calming my soul. Because again, being busy, being busy, running around, it's your soul is just so hyped up. 
You know, your soul can be just so filled up. And I think right now in this moment, in you know, with social media, with looking at this, looking at that, looking at that person's life, looking at this person's post, whatever, we just get so overwhelmed with so many things and our soul, our mind is just over exhausted. So there is a verse in Psalm that I have quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. So coming and quieting our soul is a number one. And number two is to realizing that, Lord, I'm nothing. I can do nothing. I'm coming as I am, you know, with all my flaws, with all my challenges, with all my difficulties. I am just here before you. And yet I'm so grateful that I can be here in the presence of a king of this universe because Jesus shed his blood for me, because he died on the cross for my sins, because he brought in this blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the cover where we can meet with God, you know, on the throne of grace. I can come boldly. I can come as I am with my flaws, with my difficulties, but I can come boldly because of the blood of Christ shed for me. And sometimes just be open. And to say, Lord, I do not know what to do in this situation. I just don't know. I'm at a loss. I do not know this thing hurts me. I'm worried about this thing. You know, I am worried about my kids. I am concerned about this. And I am just here to be in your presence and to listen to your speaking. And when we come like this, God has a unique way to speak to us in a very quiet inner voice. And I feel we miss that voice again because we're so busy, busy, busy all the time. Mm -hmm. And we are just so loud in our mind. He speaks to us in a quiet voice and he just kind of gently tells us, you know, you'll be all right. So there's two things that helped me to learn about God's word. So in Greek, there is two different description of word of God. One is logos, and that is a written word of God. And it's good for us to come to the word daily and to read his word. When we read his word, we can pray it back to him, you know, kind of chew on it, so to speak, like food, you know, try to absorb it, try to not just read through, but to gain some of the insights. What I found helpful is to listen. Maybe there is some readings or some audio Bible reading and chew through that word. And that word is logos that we kind of absorbing through our mind and we want for it to be a deposit within us. And then there's a second description of word is rima. And Rima means instant, intimate word in that moment. When we come to God as we are and we allow him to quiet our soul and allow him to speak to us, he uses Rima. Sometimes he just speaks something to us and he uses that Rima instant word to speak back to us what is in the written word. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the written word and read it and absorb it. You know, I think the recent for me is the faith. It was really the Lord has touched me about the aspect of faith. You know, how this lady was leading for 14 years and she was going after him and she told to herself, I only touch the realm of his clothes and I will be healed. And she had this faith. She believed that it is possible. In the normal world, it's like, what in the world are you believing, right? But she believed that it is possible and that by faith, she touched it and she got healed. And he knew that. And he said, your faith, by your faith, it was given to you. And then he went to another city that, you know, was his own. And he said he couldn't perform the works of power because of their unbelief. God, Christ himself, could not perform the works of power because of their unbelief. Mm-hmm. So in our lives, we got to have faith. And if you don't have faith, you can ask him to increase your faith. You can ask God 
be my faith, increase my faith, give me a faith to believe that anything is possible for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And when you say that, what it makes me think is some of our problem with faith may be in how we're understanding it or more what we're comparing it to. Because when we think of faith and the faith that we should have, our minds immediately go to someone that we believe had strong faith, right? And we think of the amazing things that they did or the amazing ways that they saw the world. But what you and I are talking about here is, again, this idea of come as you are. You know, when Jesus chose his disciples, he didn't choose the people that everyone else would have assumed he would have chosen. He didn't choose the people who were the standout faith warriors. He chose people and invited them as they were. And what's beautiful about this is it means it's accessible to anyone and everyone. But we don't believe that, right? Because we believe that there are people that are more deserving of God's love. We believe that we need to be in a better place before we can access God's love. We believe that we don't have the capacity right now to even come to God. But come as you are is just that. Wherever you are, whatever your state, whatever your level of faith, however much strength you have, however little hope you have, come as you are. Because that's what faith is, is choosing to step, period. Not how heavy of a step, how far of a step, how confident of a step. It's just, it's just a step. And that's where we hit trouble often is we don't step because of all these reasons. And what you mentioned too is sometimes they are legitimate reasons. I'm concerned about my kids. There's very few things in the world that are more worthy of us being concerned about than the safety of our kids, the well-being of our kids. But Jesus is the one when somebody was saying, hey, I want to come and follow you, but I need to take care of my family first. Jesus is like, you know, follow me or not, <laughs> right? And that doesn't mean he didn't care about families, but what he was trying to emphasize is just what you've been saying. The troubles of the world, our concerns, our anxieties can sometimes make us say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I can't step yet. I can step after I do this. When in reality, if that person had stepped, Jesus would have taken care of that person's family. He's the same guy who, like you said, somebody touched his clothes and he healed them. <laughs> Coming as we are is such a simple and yet such a hard thing for us. Here's the other thing you said. You said this small little phrase a while back. You were talking about we take this first step where we come as we are, and then God begins to work. And you said, as we allow him. And that really struck me because it's almost like we're seeing this journey. The first end of the journey is we're just bogged down by all the worries of life. But then we get to a place where we realize we need God. And then we get to a place where we're willing to come as we are and say, God, I need you. But then that's not the end of it, because we can be in the midst of God working, but we don't allow him to work. So tell me more about that. What does it look like for us to not allow God to work? And why is it that we do that? Yes. So the beautiful thing about our God, I think the most majestic thing for me is that he created man with a free will. You know, when you look at Genesis, he said, let us make man in our image and likeness. You know, he took the ground and he breathed the breath of life and he created soul. So we're three partite men. We have our bodies, our physical temple. We have our soul that consists of mind, emotion, and will. And in that, our will is free. We get to choose. We have the choice of choosing what we want. And then we have a spirit. And the spirit is the deepest part in our being that is of God and that has intuition, conscience, and fellowship with God. So we have these capacities. 
But the spirit is deadened because when Adam and Eve ate of the apple of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know, they got deadened inside. Their fellowship with God got separated. And that's why they hid themselves away. So when we are born into this world, we have functioning body, we have functioning soul that is developing as we grow up. And we have the spirit that is there that has a functioning capacity, but it's deadened in a way. It's like inactive. It's not charged. So if your phone is not charged, you know, it's there, it has functions and capacities, but it's not charged because it's not going to function right. So in the same way, we have a spirit that has intuition capacity. And some of us can experience that even when we are unbelievers. And we have some conscience capacity also. We can experience some of that capacity, but the fellowship as God is not there. So when we are born again, when we accept the Lord as our Savior, we say, I'm a sinner. We have realization, Lord, I'm a sinner. You know, I have no hope in this world. Uh, you've died for my sins. I want to want you to become my Lord and Savior. In that instant moment, the Spirit of God comes into your spirit and enlivens you and unites you with the Spirit of God. And that's how you become a child of God. And from that Spirit, then God's desire is to grow and penetrate us, to fully bring us into recharge, to fully make us charged in our spirit and our emotion, in our capacities, in his fellowship with him, in our intuition, make it strong, in our conscience, so we can cleanse our conscience and be, it's like a, a free open gateway to be with God. And then he wants to expand into our soul, into our mind, in our to emotions, in our will. So we are choosing not of what we want, not of what we think is good for in the world, but we're choosing what of God. So the point of allowing here is that the free will is yours. You have the free will. I have the free will of choosing what do I choose each day. And now each day we have a choice now. We are in a way, in a sense, is like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We have a choice of continuing eating of the tree of knowledge and good, which is in our flesh, which represents Satan and death and sin. And it's there installed and we can eat of it all the time. Or we can decide and choose to eat of the tree of life, which is in our spirit, which is God himself that wants to expand and transform and penetrate us. So the choice of which tree we're eating and what we're allowing to grow and increase in our lives is up to us every day. So when we allow the world, when we allow the flesh, when we allow and choose our own desires to take over, then guess what? Your inner sense is going to be darkened. Your inner being is going to be deprived. You're going to feel unease. You're going to feel depressed. You're going to feel darkened. Those are all the signs that you're eating of the wrong tree. You're allowing, choosing the things of the wrong tree. Now, when you, we turn around and we allow God to operate and we are absorbing God and we are rejoicing and we are in the morning say, Lord, I'm so grateful. Let your joy of your salvation be my strength today. I want you to be my strength today. Then we are partaking of the tree of life that is in our spirit and we're allowing God to transform our mind, our emotion, and transform the way we feel. And with him comes peace, light, life, joy, love, all of these amazing attributes that God's bring in abundantly. Because he said, I came so you can have life and life abundant. He doesn't just sprinkle a tiny bit of peace on us. He gives it to us. He, his desire is to give it to us abundantly. 
So the allowing part is the choosing part. The allowing part is our conscious decision. Sometimes unconsciously, we don't realize what we're choosing. So we need to become more aware. We say, you know, be more sober, right? Sober-minded. That means we need to be more aware what our choices are every day and which tree are we partaking of and what we're allowing to be enlarged in our lives, in our minds, in our emotions, and in what we manifest in our living every day. Yeah, that's really good. It's interesting that we are given the freedom to have free will, and we are also invited to this abundantly more, this abundant life. You gave that analogy of the phone plugging up, and I was thinking, what are the times that I don't want to plug my phone in, even though it may be low on charge? And it's because I don't want to be tethered. I don't want to be stuck standing in this spot and only as far from the wall as the cord will reach. And I don't want, I want to be able to go where I want to go. And, and sometimes I will choose that freedom over that restoration because I want to be able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. Forgetting that there will come a point where I won't even be able to use my phone anymore <laughs> like, because I can't in and of myself charge the phone. Somebody could say, well, why didn't God just make us where we didn't need him to recharge? But it's because he didn't make us just to be these things he made. He made us for a relationship. Yes. And he knows it's not that he's trying to be cruel and tether us. He just knows that in relationship is where this restoration happens. It's not like God has a reserve and he's restricting. It's that it is in his presence. That's the restoration. Yes. And that invitation's always there to any of us, all of us. And again, it brings us back to the come as you are. I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. You know, as I think about this, those hardest moments of come as we are, are our lowest moments when we are most embarrassed, most ashamed, when we're at our most hopeless. These are the moments that if somebody asks the question, what's your most embarrassing moment? We don't want to answer that question because we don't want to put that out there. We don't want to have to remember that. We don't want to relive it. These are the moments that God's inviting us to come to him. But it made me think of a conversation I had with someone named Kat Sharp. And during that conversation, she shares her lowest, most embarrassing moment. A moment that in and of herself, she would have been fine never sharing with the world. But she shares it because God did something with that moment. In the moment, it was hard. But now on this end of it, that worst moment is now being used to encourage and comfort others who are in their worst moments. And so I want to hear your thoughts on this idea that we can see the come as we are moment as the worst moment. But when we do come as we are, God can actually transform that moment and use it in an unexpected way. Yes, as you speak and describe this, the story comes to me of David, right? And David was anointed king of God. I just recently did a study of First and Second Samuel. We did a life study with our group, and it was really striking point that, you know, first king was Saul and the second king was Daniel. Daniel was according to God's heart. If you reread through First and Second Samuel, you'll see that he was dedicated to God. He, you know, verses to Saul that he was looking for his own own glory for his own ways. He was very impatient. He didn't want, you know, to wait for God to come and do things, but he wanted to just do it his own way. Versus a David, he was really dedicated. From the young age, he was trusting God in, in such a way that he went on and he was fearless in front of Goliath. You know, he's just like, God gave this huge big giant into my hand. Hey, I'm just going to swing this little thing and he's, he's done. And he had this faith. 
in God. And through the entire journey, you know, through the challenges, when you look at David's life, he had so much persecution from Saul. He had opportunities where Saul was just looking to kill him and, you know, so many difficulties and challenges. And David just always said, God is my shepherd. You know, read some of his songs that he wrote. He hold that God is a foundation. And then there was a low point of his life that I feel is a very important lesson for us that he just got carried away. He saw this woman bathing out there and, um, you know, he just desired after her and he went on and, you know, laid with her. And uh, that was the soldier Uriah. And Uriah was so dedicated. He said, I can't go back to my home. I'm going to lay here at the gates because all of my brother's soldiers are there in the field. And then David, in addition to, you know, stealing his wife, he went on and, you know, made a plot to go ahead and kill Uriah and basically send him off to the most violent fight that makes sure he's not going to return back. And then he take on and he took the, the wife, his wife. And that was really the lowest point in, in that he committed. He basically, when, when we looked at it, he said he broke each and every commandment. Out of 10 commandments that God gave, he broke each and every commandment. He stole you know, all of the things that God commanded not to do. He basically broke it. And God had to step in and he sent out the prophet and he said, well, look at this, you know, what, what have you done? And if you read the story, it was really enlightening. And David realized his mistake and he cried out to God. And, you know, the child that, you know, the wife of Uriah conceived passed away. So that was a God's sovereign hand uh, upon the situation. But to make the story for us to be a reminder that no matter how good we are or how successful we are or how steadfast we are with God, there is always a possibility for us to get caught in a sinful situation. So number one, we need to be watchful. And then a number two to your question is that out of that situation and out of that experience that David had, ultimate failure that David had, there came Solomon that built the temple of God. Solomon that brought in what was God's desire, you know, bring in the testimony of the temple and build the temple of God. I feel that it is really important for us to learn that we can be successful, we can walk with God, but we can also fall miserably. And as we fall miserably, we cry out to him and he is merciful to forgive us. Now, there's going to be like for David, there's consequences, right? To each and every choice that we encounter, if we follow the flesh, there will be consequences. But yet God in his forgiveness is merciful to restore us again. So I feel that is really impactful for us to observe the history and see it as the pictures for us and see it as the wisdom that God wants to show us that now we can learn from that and ask God to help us not to make the choices that will be regretful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jesus calls us to die to self. And one of the heftiest ways to do that is to allow these worst parts of us to be visible, to be visible to God, to be visible to others, because our self-preservation wants us to be the best versions of ourselves, not just internally, but externally for people to see that. And, you know, we're in a time now where that's very much on display because with social media, you can actually tailor not just how you are perceived, but how you literally look. You can put filters on to reshape your appearance and this inclination if scripture was designed based around that, then we would have only heard the best moments of David. We would have only heard the best moments of Paul. We would have only heard the best moments of Peter. 
And then we would have been left with this inaccessible model Mm -hmm. for what to be. Yes. We would have looked at them and say, I am never going to be as faithful or as courageous or as strong. Yes. Therefore, why even try? Give up. And when we hear these stories of, oh, David was a man after God's own heart. Wait, he did what? And God still loved him? Or the apostle Paul, who was chosen when he was literally on the way to kill more Christians, even deep into his life, he's like, I don't understand what I do because what I hate to do, I do. Like, I can't tell you how many times that's encouraged me because the Apostle Paul is this model of faith. And then I see that verse, I'm like, but he still did things he didn't want to do. So that gives me hope that maybe I can be in relationship with God. Maybe God can use me. And so, you know, when we hide our worst moments, when we don't want to come as we are, we aren't just doing a disservice to ourselves but we may actually be doing a disservice to others whom God wanted to use our story to encourage. Yes. Let me ask this. What we've stumbled upon here is this journey of, I'm just going about my life thinking I'm just my own person. And then suddenly things get out of my control. Things get too hard. I get to a point where I realize I can't do this. I need God. Then I get to a point where I'm willing to come as I am because I'm desperate. (laughs) And then I start to see an opportunity for God to work. You know, maybe somebody is hearing all this and they're like, I mean, that sounds great. This inner healing thing. I mean, it sounds weird to me, but it sounds great. But I just don't know how to take a first step into that. If somebody's in that position where they're on the verge of this inner healing, what is a simple first step that they can take to start to move in that direction? Simple first step is simple but it requires a little bit of courage. Mm. And it also requires you to step out of your comfort zone. Okay? And I would say this, find a spot, whether it's in your house or go out in the nature where you are completely alone, where there's no one around you. And you know no one is going to be there. No one's going to hear you. Nobody's going to judge you. Mm -hmm. So find the spot where you are in absolute alone and there's no interruptions, no phone. Don't bring the phone with you. And in that area, whether it is in the house, you're absolutely by yourself or you're going somewhere in the park or going somewhere in the mountain. I say, cry out to God, literally cry out. To me is like, allow this cry to come from the depths of your heart. And the best way to cry out is to call on his name. You just take a deep breath and you just call from the bottom of your heart. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. As you cry out to him, calling on his name, you give all of that pain, all of that struggle, all of that whatever holds within you out with that cry. You cry out loud his name and do that. Cry out like this. I would say give yourself at least cry out 10 times, just out loud his name. And as you do this, you believe in your heart that he hears you and the things that you want to say and you do not know how to say them, he knows it. And when you call on his name, I assure you in such a way, God will be there with you. He will heal you. He will speak to you. He will comfort you. He will hug you. And you will receive that healing that you've never imagined before. If you've never done this, I encourage you, do it. 
Do it as soon as you can. Make a plan, make a commitment, put it on your calendar, make it a scheduled appointment with God and practice and see what comes out of it. Yeah. It really is a powerful thing that it's not just a spiritual thing, but even within ourselves, like I think of there's so many movies and shows that capture this moment where someone is at the end of themselves and then they just let it out, right? And it makes me think of the show, This Is Us. There is a scene where character Randall has suddenly learned a lot about his past and about his family and it's just too much. And he goes out and he just like cries out with the depth of everything in him. But what's beautiful is not only is that a restorative act in and of itself, but what you're also pointing out that when you bring in also the spiritual element, the invitation to call out to God, it does something deeper than just the release of the pain. It's also inviting something in. You're getting rid of something and then filling that space with something new. And so in all of this, here's what's really interesting. We long for healing. And what we really want is for it to be easy and simple and straightforward for God just to do it. But because God is desiring relationship, he's not desiring to fix the stuff that's going to fade away anyways. Because he's desiring relationship and because he's given us free will, there is this invitation. And so much of what you shared are these little action steps, if you will. We have to come to him. We have to invite him as we allow him, as we quiet our souls, as we give that pain. And I keep thinking of the verse in Revelation 3.20 that says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's this realization that Jesus isn't forcing himself into our lives, but he is standing there patiently waiting and just knocking. But it is up to us whether we want to open the door or not. And this is the beautiful thing that I love that come as you are peace is sometimes we might feel like we don't have the strength to turn the knob. We don't have the strength to even open the door, but that's where God's capacity comes in because it's not up to us to have the strength. It's for us to be willing to take that first step. I feel like there's so much more we can dive into all of this, but as we wrap up, I've got two final simple questions. The first one is this, if somebody wanted to connect with you or to learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to find me on social media as my name, Jana Masik, it's J-A-N-N-A-M-A-C-I-K. I am most active on LinkedIn because right now what I'm doing professionally, I am helping people maximize their God-given talent in their occupation and their careers. So I'm helping professionals to really map out what kind of career they can choose that they would feel fulfilled and be meaningful for them. So LinkedIn is a great place to find me and connect with me to just send me a connection request and we can, you know, dive in and exchange messages there. You can always also find me on Instagram. I share a little bit more personal stuff on Instagram. I am not a big fan or big person being on Facebook, but I do have a profile, but I'm not very often there. And then I do have a YouTube channel as well, where I'm broadcasting every Monday a show is called Powering Unique You. It's about empowerment, leadership, and helping you to find the tools and skills to make better choices career-wise. That's great. And then my last question is this, is there anything else in your heart that you want to share before we go? Yes. Something that I would love to share is another way for you to touch the Lord and come to him and allow him to guide you is singing. And it may be not natural to you, but it is a powerful way because sometimes 
we are not at the point that we can pray. Sometimes we are not at the point that we can even call out. And sometimes when you come and you just start singing, something magical happens. There is a song, actually, as we speak and as we finish this conversation, the song is a Coming As You Are. One of the amazing resources that I like using, it's online hymnal. It's H-Y-M-N-A-L-Hymnal.net. When you go there, you find all sorts of hymns. There's some old hymns, there's some new hymns and whatnot. Their song is that I come, I come, right? Do you know that song? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just as I am, right? Mm -hmm. Just as I am. And now that we are speaking about it, I just want to read the first verse. It says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bids come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. So do not wait, do not linger, do not pass on. Come to him right now as you're listening this, open your heart to him cry out to him, sing to him, and may the Lord fill you with his life, his love, his peace, his joy, his comfort, and everything and anything that you may need in this moment abundantly. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the While you might not find the exact phrase, come as you are in scripture, you do find the idea of it throughout scripture. Take Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the invitation is given to those who are currently weary and burdened, not those who have things all together. Revelation 22, verse 17 says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It was those who were currently thirsty who were invited to come. Isaiah 55 hits the same demographic. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Well, now we're getting a little crazier. Not only are those who are thirsty being called, but those who have no money. And even more than that, they are given the invitation to do something that they could not have done in and of themselves, that they could not have believed that they could do in and of themselves. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. So there's an invitation and there's an opportunity. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says this, Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So the invitation to come is given to those whose sins are like scarlet, not those who are without sin. Then there's Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So the invitation to come isn't based on what you can offer. And we could keep on going. We can even go anecdotally. Stories where Jesus invited somebody to come who the world will look at and say, they aren't yet ready to come to you. He would invite them to come as they were to him. And that invitation is the same today. If you're in a hard situation, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, or mental, and you're longing for healing, the question to ask might be, am I refusing to come to God? Is there a part of me that feels like something needs to change first? Am I being like the many who said to Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me go do this. First, let me take care of that. Because the invitation to come is for now, right now, at this moment, where you're sitting. Because the reality is, and we know this throughout life, that if you're trying to make everything right, you will always find something else that needs to be made right. It is an endless endeavor towards perfection. But if right now you come as you are, God is able to show you what he can do with the little that you have to offer. We get a glimpse of that when Jesus fed the 5,000. All he had offered to him was five loaves and two fish from a small boy. But Jesus took that little and fed thousands in a way that defied understanding. You may not feel like you have much to offer. You may not feel of much value to God. But when you come as you are, he could take the little that you're offering and do abundantly more than you could ever have asked or imagined. And this brings us back to what Jana mentioned at the start, that some of the most important healing is the internal healing within us. The reason we don't come as we are is because there is a brokenness in our understanding of our identity and our worth, and God wants to heal that. And sometimes the first step to that healing is to take that first step towards him, as we are right now. Because when you do that, God will give you an opportunity to see what he sees, because you were fearfully and wonderfully made, because you are his child, because he made you in his image and because he loves you. When you take a first step as you are towards him, the glimpse of your true identity that he shows you will help you to take that next step. Whatever healing you think you need, God knows that your mind and heart will blockade that healing until you are healed in your understanding of your true identity. When you come as you are, you demolish the lie that you are not worth it, that you are not valuable, that you are unredeemable. This is a lie that has been blocking healing in your life. But once it's demolished, you'll be able to recognize it a little easier the next time it forces itself upon you. God loves you and he desires restoration for you. All you have to do is come as you are right now and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what Revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, 
you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?